Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hey everyone, as you know, Jen and I have had some off time and have a little bit more coming up, and we ran into a small hurdle where we needed a little bit more time this week, but rather than just missing another week, we came up with an idea that we hope you guys will approve of. We are in the middle of our Sweet Home Alabama series, so we decided to dig into the archives. As you know, there are several episodes that are only on Patreon from the early days of Corpus Delicti, and so we have for you tonight an episode that will fall into the Sweet Home Alabama series because it did happen in Alabama. But if it sounds a little bit different, that's because it is. It is an older episode, but there are a lot of great stories that we covered early on that fall into this series. And we thought that this might be a really good way to kind of help get us through these breaks. We will still have some off time just because of editing, but we thought that might be a good way to kind of tie you over since most people have not heard these episodes. Our audience has grown a lot since those early days and since those episodes were put on Patreon. So while some of you have heard these, most of you have not. So with that said, we hope you enjoy. This is Jennifer. And this is Lindsay. This is Corpus Delicti, the morning after. Yeah, we're very tired. We saw My Favorite Murder live last night. It was a blast. We had so much fun, but we're very tired. So anyway, we're going to record our last episode in this hotel and head home. So thanks for, uh, you know, hanging out with us (laughs) through this experience, which for you guys is going to feel like two weeks, but it's really just been 24 hours. 12 hours. (laughs) So, All right, so today's murder... We're we're actually going to bring it back to Alabama. We've been out of Alabama for a while, but we are coming back. And we've got another person who is in Tutwiler Prison, which we've heard about (gasps) several times. So we're we're taking it back to Tutwiler. So this case is the murder of Dr. Jack Wilson. So let's jump in and talk about what happened to Dr. Wilson. So Dr. Wilson was a very predominant eye doctor up in Huntsville, Alabama. I say up in because we're down in Birmingham. But yeah, it's the, he was a very well-to-do man. His estate alone was $6.3 million. He and his wife, they meet up for lunch on May 22nd, 1992. It was around noon, and she's going to go shopping after that. And they're about to take a trip to Santa Fe, so she's going shopping for the trip. I'm going to go pick up, you know, some outfits, whatever. And they were, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but they were taking this trip because there had been a little bit of of rockiness in the marriage, and they were trying to go kind of... Rekindle the flame. Right, exactly. So it was supposed to be like a, a second honeymoon. 
he left his office at four to go home. So they went for lunch, came back to the office. He left the office about four o'clock. He began, you know, he changed out of his work clothes, got into some of his street clothes, and he began to work outside in the yard because if they're going to be gone for a little bit, he wanted to tidy up. So he took a baseball bat. A neighbor saw him start using the bat to bang in a campaign sign i guess the, like an election yeah whoever he was supporting vote for this person right. and, and putting it into his front yard he later then took a step ladder out of the garage and carried it upstairs in the hallway where he was going to remove a smoke detector from the ceiling i guess it had been chirping mm-hmm. and, maybe replacing the batteries or yeah. whatever so he's he's got the ladder he's working on the smoke detector and right around this time he is surprised by someone in the house who had grabbed that baseball bat that he was using to hammer the sign into the ground and just started beating him and he was beaten on his head and his arms and just completely taken by surprise when he got knocked down He had defensive wounds all over his arms, all over his face. The assailant grabs a knife and stabs him twice in the chest. A baseball bat was later found about five feet away from him, and the smoke detector was dismantled on the bed. So it was like he was coming down from the the stepladder, tossed it onto the bed, and then turns around and sees this guy, and this guy starts beating him. Yeah, so, of course, Betty is out shopping at this time, and she comes home later in the evening about 9.30, and she finds her husband beaten to death. So she goes to the neighbor's home to call 911. I w- if I walked in I would not want and saw that, I would not want to stay in the house. Yeah, I, at first I was wondering why did she go to the neighbor's house, but she was probably scared someone was still in there or, yeah. or whatever. So she runs to the neighbor's house and calls 911, and that's where the investigation begins. Let's give you a little background on Betty. She grew up in Gadsden, Alabama, not far away from Huntsville. Her and Jack met, actually, back in 1974. He was just a resident surgeon at the time, and she was his nurse. Betty had a twin sister named Peggy, Betty and Peggy Lowe, and Peggy was a teacher at Talladega Elementary School. Betty had a history of alcoholism, and she was a recovering alcoholic. She spent time in AA. Yeah, and she went to AA meetings quite often. Like, she'd go two or three times a week. I'm guessing she just enjoyed that support that that community offers. From that, she brought home men from the Mm -hmm. AA meetings, and she went home and had affairs with them. So Dr. Wilson, he knew about this. You know, when you're bringing people home that often they're bound to find out that's where some of the rockiness or I'm sure a lot of the rockiness came into the marriage and why they were you know trying to rekindle things but Dr. Wilson actually blamed himself for her feeling that need to reach out because he suffered from Crohn's disease which I don't know if y'all have heard of it but it's a intestinal disorder and um, causes really bad stomach problems, stomach pain, things of that nature. And it left him impotent. So he he blamed himself for her running around. Uh, So this trip to Santa Fe was actually for them to rekindle. They were going to go and try to refreshen their marriage and hopefully stop all of her affairs. Now, let's get into the investigation. So police arrive. They search every inch of that house and grounds. And at first, they really suspected it was a burglary. So they really thought someone was going in and going to burglarize, and they just happened to find him. The police brought in police dogs to sniff out any evidence that they may have overlooked, 
any, I'm assuming that would be any drugs or, you know, if they had gasoline on them and were going to light it on fire, anything that might help them with the investigation. There was just a total lack of evidence. Despite all this, there was, there were no open drawers, no ransacked clothes, no overturned furniture, nothing was stolen. So now they're thinking, okay, well, that's weird. Now we're thinking it's an inside job. Somebody who knew him did this because this, there was no burglary. So you're thinking the wife, right? Baseball bat, anger, viciousness, stabbing. Well, could be. Could be. But the police were able to pinpoint her every moment throughout the day except for two 30-minute segments. So she was shopping from estimated 1 to 1.30 to 9 o'clock at night. Yeah. That is the life I want. <laughs> really? That's, that's <laughs> a shopping trip. Now, one of those... 30-minute periods where she was not accounted for. It was around 2.30, but we do know that he was at work at that time because he did not leave the office until 4, and he was seen outside at 4.30. Okay, so even though she was not accounted for then, he he was alive. He was at work. So the second time frame where she was not accounted for was between 5 and 5.30. So they started talking to her family and trying to figure out more information, and all the family had alibis, and um, they, they just really didn't find anything. They, they're not thinking that Betty had enough time to come home by 5 o'clock, kill him, then be back at the mall where they had receipts and stuff mm-hmm. showing where she had purchased things. So it just it's not adding up. The timeline isn't matching up for any of the typical suspects, such as family, friends. There's nothing to go on at this point. There is actually now a break in the case. An anonymous tip was called into the Shelby County Sheriff's Department stating that one of her friends had told her that he had killed the doctor in Huntsville. Now, Shelby County is... That's where we live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, <laughs> it's about halfway down the state. So we're talking Huntsville's North Alabama. Shelby County is Middle Alabama. Shelby County is Birmingham. Yeah. Well, it's, it, yeah, it's Birmingham. It's, it's for y'all's intent and purpose. It's Birmingham. The woman who called the tip in said that the man's name is James White, and he's a 42-year-old Vietnam veteran who has a history of mental illness and antisocial behavior. Now, he also had a history of drug and alcohol abuse, and he did spend some time in mental health institutions as well as serving time in jail. When he was in jail one time, he did escape, and he was captured a year later in Arkansas, and during that time, he was involved in kidnapping a man and his wife. So this it's not looking good for this guy. He's definitely got a record. So there's, we are actually able to find a connection between Dr. Jack Wilson, and this James guy. James worked as a handyman in Talladega Elementary School, which was the exact same school Peggy, Betty's twin sister, works at. So Peggy, Peggy had recruited James to kill her twin sister's husband at the request of Betty. You might be thinking that sounds kind of convoluted. How did that happen? So let's, let's break that down. So James was doing carpentry work for Peggy at her home and at the school. So they get to know each other. Start talking. They're talking on the phone after hours. And so Peggy was actually married. And she would tell James about her husband. And she actually started hinting that she wanted him killed. So here you've got two twin sisters. Both cheating on their husbands. Both having affairs. Both want their husbands dead. Like something in that gene pool <laughs> is is off. You know, over time, she kind of drops the... the the topic of killing her husband, probably a good move. But then she moves on to talking about 
Betty. And she's like, you know what? My my sister actually wants to get rid of her husband, too. He doesn't treat her right. So White pretends to play along and says, yeah, I know somebody who can do it for 20 grand. Peggy says, you know what? That's too expensive. My sister doesn't have that much money. I'll give you five. I'll give you five grand. This house <laughs> sit, is six point three million dollars you don't got 20 grand right and you well how do you go from 20 grand to five yeah but of course he's like yeah all right that's cool and then of course as we have learned in almost every one of our cases that involves a hitman she's like but i'm only gonna give you half up front so so he gets 2500 to commit the murder and he pays some past due bills he puts a little bit in his account and he spends the rest on his kids but you know within a few weeks that 2500 was gone he does the actually really sensible thing yeah he gets all of his bills paid up yeah yep <laughs> standards <laughs> yeah. before you commit murder so on may 16th of 92 peggy and james are having a full-out affair at this point it's not a friendship and after a steamy afternoon meetup, Peggy tells James that, hey, look, if you don't do this soon, you got to give me that 2500 bucks back. Yeah, so he told Peggy he needed more money to buy his kit, and he needed to go spend the night in Huntsville. What would a kit be? Like, I wonder how they were planning on doing this at this point. We know he, he was killed with the baseball bat and stabbed. But what was the kit? Well, I mean... This probably was his first murder. So, I mean, he's probably thinking he Like, is he going to go to Walmart and be like, yes, where are your murder kits? Oh, aisle seven? I'll, I'll be right Next back. Next to the first aid. So he says, like, I need more money to go get my murder kit and to spend the night in Huntsville. Because I guess he's not from there. Maybe he was from Shelby County. And that's why that person called in the tip. So to get money for his kit, Peggy told him to go up to Lake Gunnersville State Park and get some money from Betty, her sister, who was at an AA meeting. Now, Lake Gunnersville has a little area that is kind of pristine. They have guards so you just can't get in. So what happened is to get to Betty's black BMW, he had to get through the guard because Betty had put the money in a book titled The Sleeping Beauty and the Firebird, um, which is actually a ballet. The car would be unlocked and the book would be in the back seat. And that would be enough money to finance everything that he needed. So James goes to Lake Gunnersville, but he gets stopped at the security guard entrance and they would not let him in. So he tells him, hey, look, I need to get in to get uh, just a book from my friend's car. I've come a long way to get it. Can you just let me in to get it? So the guards say, you can try to contact Betty. There's a payphone right over here. Just call her and see if she'll come and meet you. So he goes and he calls Peggy. And Peggy says, hey, call the front desk at the lodge. Try to find where Betty is. And he left a message at the front desk. He said, hey, have Betty Wilson call me back. So he waits by the front entrance. Betty doesn't come. He's like, hey, she didn't answer. So he's like, hey, will you go to her car and get it for me? So he has one of the guards go to Betty's car. He unlocks it, says it should be unlocked, grabs the book and brings it. Brings brings it back to James. Brings it back to James. And James has his book with the money inside. So James later testified that after he got the money, and the book he went to Huntsville drove past Wilson's house and returned to his trailer in Vincent so he didn't even stay in Huntsville he just did a drive-by yeah he's probably kind of freaking out at that point like saying oh crap you know now it's down to it do I really want to do this because a lot of the money that he was given for this hit went towards the hit itself it went 
to the trip, the gas, the, you know, hotel that he was supposed to stay in. So he retained very little of it. So he's probably like, dude, is this worth it? Yeah, I mean, he's probably really freaked out. First murder. And he's stalling, too. So he was told this back in March. This is May now. There's There's been some long time frames here. So no more than two days after May 16th, James received another phone call from Betty. She asked him what the heck was going on and why he hasn't done it. That's just crazy, crazy phone call conversations. Like, I would be so scared Big Brother is watching to say anything. I would just be scared to piss off a hitman. Or that, but <laughs> why haven't you killed someone yet? I don't know. It's yeah. just, she said, hey, look, I'm giving you a deadline. This is dragged on for far too long. He, I, I want him dead by May 24th because I don't want to go on this trip with him. I'm done with him. Just go ahead and get this over with. So James come back and says, oh, I'm sorry. I don't have any bolts for my gun. He said, I can't get the cartridges for it whatever, for whatever reason they're out or they were out in aisle seven <laughs> next to the murder kids. <laughs> he, he says, hey, look, hold up. I can't I can't get what I need. So on May 20th of 92, Peggy, this is the twin sister, calls him and says, look, I've got everything you need. Quit stalling. I've got it. Meet me and Betty at Logan Martin Dam and we'll be in the BMW. Meet us. Let's get this done. Not only at this point, he's stalling and he can't get bullets for his gun. He has to go get a kit. He has to go do a stakeout. Betty and her sister, Peggy, are like, look, Money in hand, right here. Bullets, right here. We will give you the gun. We will give it. Just go ahead and get it done. Peggy got out of the BMW when James got there. She was holding a sweater in her hand, so she kind of bundled up the sweater. When she opened the door of his truck, she dropped the thirty-eight revolver, which had been wrapped in the sweater, and he went back to his trailer, wrapped a gun in the towel, and then he hid it under boards behind his trailer. So he's freaking out. Yeah, I mean, he gets the gun, he takes it home, and he hides it. Yeah, he's yeah, he's not feeling good about this. <laughs> yeah. White had then stated he would get a call from Betty about where and when to do it. Yeah, because she knows when she's not going to be home, so she can't be pegged for it and yeah. things of that nature. So she's going to give him the green light. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, early in the morning of the 21st, 
uh, he received a telephone call from Betty. It's go time. On May 21st, he, he does. He receives that call from Betty. It's go time. He goes to Dr. Wilson's office, but he decided not to kill him there because there were too many people around. Probably a good decision. Yeah. I mean, so he goes to a payphone near the office. He calls... Peggy. He, yeah, he calls Peggy and talked to Betty, who was at Peggy's house, and was like, hey, look, couldn't do it. He told her that he needed more money so he could spend the night in Huntsville. He said that Wilson told him to meet her at the Chick-fil-A. Oh, Wilson Chick-fil-A. <laughs> well, it clearly wasn't a Sunday. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be suspicious. <laughs> because they wouldn't be open. <laughs> he said that Wilson told her to meet him at the Chick-fil-A, the restaurant on the Parkway City Mall in Huntsville. It was about noon that day, and she would give him some more money. White said that he stood at line at Chick-fil-A, so it definitely wasn't a Sunday. Definitely wasn't a Sunday. Uh, White said that he stood in line at Chick-fil-A, and he was waited on by a girl named Christina, got his sandwich, and walked outside and sat down on one of the benches. So it was probably a beautiful May day, just mm-hmm. eating his lunch outside. So then Betty shows up. She goes through the line in the restaurant. I'm assuming they're doing that to kind of provide... Like an alibi. Oh, we were at Chick-fil-A. We couldn't have, you he know. He doesn't go to Chick-fil-A. Yeah. So she goes in, gets some food. She walks outside and hands James a bag that contained a $100 bill. Well, James then goes to Kmart, purchased a travel kit, some underwear, and so he could go spend the night in Huntsville. He checks in at the Ramada Inn. Then he decided to drive to Wilson's house to check out the lay of the land. So he said that he started to act like a jogger. And was kind of going around the estate. But dude had on jeans. So he's like jogging down the street in jeans. (laughs) And loafers. Not suspicious at all. (laughs) So while he is jogging through the neighborhood, he sees one of the neighbors of the Wilsons out there doing yard work. So he goes back to the hotel and he calls Peggy. So again, I mean, he's he's freaking out at everything. He's like, I saw a neighbor. I saw a neighbor. Are they you saw sure? Me. Yeah. Are, are you sure I should do this? I mean, he is he's pulling out every yep. every diversion he can think of. The next morning, Betty calls him and James says, you're going to need to drive me to the house so that no one will see me. Because they saw me yesterday. Somebody's got to drive me. Betty met James at the Parkway Mall around 3 o'clock on the 22nd. So, so it's a Friday. He gets out of his car, gets into her BMW, and he saw that she was wearing these flowered tennis shoes. He got down on the floor of the car and she drove him to her house. So he was, you know, doing a little recon. He was hiding. They pulled into the garage and she handed him 40 more dollars and told him where the husband's bedroom was located. He settled for way too low of a price. I so mean, he got the five, or right now only 2500 plus, plus a few little sprinkles of hundreds and stuff. So when they arrived at the house, he believed he needed to wait several hours for Wilson to arrive. So he began walking up the stairs and he became face to face with Wilson. So he thought he would be able to hide. Yeah, he didn't expect it to happen so quickly. So he didn't he he didn't realize that Dr. Wilson was already there. So he's just kind of walking through the house, feeling things out, trying to find an escape route, and then he's like, "Oh crap. Hey, Dr. Wilson." They got into a wrestling match. He knocked Dr. Wilson down. He grabbed an object that he later said he couldn't identify and started beating Dr. Wilson with it. So it's probably the the baseball bat. Like he freaked out. He had the gun. But he just grabbed something and started beating him. After everything is is all said and done, James buries a bag containing clothes and just various things he had on him. 
he, he buries it, goes back to the house, has Betty drive him to his car, which was still parked at the mall. This was the, the missing 30 minutes. So he meets her at the mall where she was shopping. She takes him back to the house, waits. He goes and buries it, comes back. She goes back to the store. So, yes, they were correct that she did not have enough time to go home and kill him and she would have had wounds and blah, blah, blah. They were right about that. But what they didn't realize is that 30 minutes, she was still involved in it. She just wasn't the one actually killing him. Hi, True Crime fans. I'm Erin. And I'm Shay. We host All Crime, No Cattle, a conversational podcast which focuses on true crime stories from the Lone Star State. We strive to bring you a balanced and well-researched story about Texas cases big and small. We do the research so you don't have to. We also end every episode with a good news story, just to remind everyone that real life isn't quite as depressing as true crime can make it out to be. New episodes drop every Thursday, and you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All crime, no cattle, because crime is bigger in Texas, y'all. So, the remaining... $2,500 was supposed to be left in Peggy's garage on Sunday after the murder. So James goes to Lowe's house to get the rest of his money, and it wasn't there. Pay your hitman. I mean, or just don't do it. Do it, because we keep hearing it again and again that, I'll give you a halfsies. The sisters were arrested shortly after, and they each separately faced murder trials in 1993. At the hearing, the prosecution successfully argued that because Betty was a beneficiary to her husband's will, the fact that she had sexual affairs was enough to prove the motive. There was a tape-recorded confession of James, so we know that this guy's a little uncomfortable with this whole situation anyway. So as soon as it happens, you know, he he's talking. Yeah. As soon as they start investigating, <laughs> he's like, holy crap, it was me. So they've got a tape confession, which turned out to be a bulk of their evidence. But the thing was, there was no one who ever saw James and Betty together at any time, and there was no physical evidence linking James to the crime scene, which is, I mean, because he was just in and out. Right, and it's not like, I mean, maybe he wasn't bleeding, like his defensive wounds or the fight they got in it's not like he was stabbed or anything to to where his blood would be everywhere or, or whatever. And he had buried everything yeah. that he used, so there was no weapon. And, the, you know, it's they know he did it. He said he did it. What happens at this point, James starts changing his story left and right, started making shit up as he's going now. I mean, he just, and it was a headache for both sides because he could never describe it the same way twice. He would have a different version every single time and while he was sitting in a cell he suddenly recalled the fact that he had not remembered before he had changed clothes in the house and placed him in a plastic bag along with the rope the knife and hid him under a rock a few feet away from the swimming pool the bag was supposed to be there the same time when he was supposed to receive the money that peggy owed him police later said that they couldn't find the bag they couldn't find the money because the reason why they couldn't find it is because the dog had an allergy. Yeah, so he Aww. says, oh, I just remembered. This is there- where I buried it. Yeah, and so they they said, well, we didn't find this on the initial search, but it's because the dog had an allergy. Like, how are you going to have a dog with an allergy be your evidence-finding dog? Once they hear this, they said, okay, we didn't find it on our first search, but they go and they check for it, and it was exactly where James said it 
would be. Now, what they weren't able to determine is if the clothes had any blood on them or if they were actually James's clothes. So the clothes became one of the biggest mysteries in this case. No one seriously believed that the clothes had been missing in the initial search. Even members of the police were skeptic. How did the clothes get there? How did he know they were there? And why did the dog miss it? And all of a sudden, he just remembered where he put his murder kit? Yeah. So, I mean, that's something you'd probably want to know. Right. So the the thought process was that he had gotten someone on the outside to put all that there to try to boost his credibility. Because since he had been lying so much, or not necessarily lying, but his, his story was changing so much, mm-hmm. his credibility was crap. And so it was affecting his potential sentence. Because they're saying, we can't trust this guy. We can't trust anything he says. So he's probably guilty as sin. And he's going to the electric chair. Right. This Let's is give a death sentence. Right. Exactly. So the prosecution still argues that it was murder for hire. The defense claims the fact that because James did not carry a weapon in with him made the story unbelievable. Okay, so here's my question. The defense says he did not carry a weapon in with him. Then what did he bury? The defense is saying that he fitted his testimony to fit the prosecution's case. And they think that that's why he was wavering so much in his story and just trying to get out of a possible death sentence. So the prosecution also argued that James's testimony was corroborated by phone records and phone calls that they were able to pull. The defense is saying, hey, there's other explanations. So, of course, it's just going back and forth. Prosecution says that the gun, remember that gun that he took to his trailer and kind of put away was given to him by Betty and Peggy. The defense says he stole the gun and they said that the box that the gun came in along with the shells was found in the home afterwards. So why that did he bring the gun with him? I don't know. And that doesn't mean that he stole it. I mean, just because they found the box that it came in and the shells, that doesn't mean it was stolen. Or the defense is saying Betty or the twins didn't give him the gun. So they can't be implicated, and he didn't go into murder, but yeah. it, the gun wasn't there for it to be used in the, in the hit. So the prosecution also offers up a witness, and this witness claims to have seen James and Betty near the murder scene within 30 minutes of one another. Now, murder scene, of course, would be the house, so I don't know how unusual it would be to see Betty Wilson near her house, but they did see it, and they reported it. And the thing is, but that witness couldn't pick him out of a lineup. Yeah, so, so the defense saying, is like, this is a... this It's a farce. Yeah, this witness is, is pointless. Then, the prosecution claims that the timeline proves the case. The defense is arguing, no, it doesn't fit, because, you know, the story keeps changing, and they don't know what the timeline actually was. So the prosecution offers a witness who claimed that Betty talked all the time about wanting to kill her husband. Don't talk about it. Don't tell anybody. It's not a good conversation topic. Discussing (laughs) other murders is a great conversation topic. Yes, don't discuss ones you want to commit. Like, that's not a good idea. So the defense offered a witness who stated that she received a message from Dr. Wilson on her answer machine after the alleged time of death. The prosecution argued that that call could have been made earlier. So now they're trying to argue that 30-minute time frame. Yes. They're trying to say, no, this isn't when he died. This is when he died. And because of this phone call, that frees up both people. Right. So regardless of the hard evidence, everybody agreed with the prosecution's case that 
Betty is a cold, immoral woman and wanted her husband dead. To kind of support that, of course, they've got all these witnesses coming in saying, we've heard her talk down about her husband all the time and how much she hated him and, and all this other stuff. And then, of course, you've got other witnesses who are talking about her various affairs, and there were several of them, and even Dr. Wilson knew about that. So they brought that onto the witness stand as well. So the case went to the jury at 12.28 on March 2nd. After deliberating the rest of the day and the following day, the jury came back with a guilty verdict. So the jurors later revealed that the main factor in their decision were those telephone records that they ended up pulling. So Betty ends up, Betty Wilson ends up being sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. So six months later, Peggy also has to stand trial because for her part, she she has an alleged role in this murder. So let's talk a little bit about Peggy's trial because we know she played a different role in it and in a less direct way than Betty did. But much of the evidence was an exact repeat of the two trials before. So Betty got convicted, James is convicted, and now it's the exact same trial pretty much over. Expert witnesses started to say that two people had been involved in murder and Peggy had nothing to do with it. The main difference in the two trials, almost it was almost a, a copy and paste except for one thing, and that was the experts started to believe, based on some witness statements, that two people may have been involved in the actual murder. Not the plan, but the actual murder itself. So they're thinking they're argument with that they kind of roll with it and their argument is that it was Betty and James which would mean Peggy had nothing to do with it so they argued they argued this because there was a lack of blood on the wall and they theorized that the murder probably occurred somewhere else other than that hallway and was caused by something other than a baseball bat like they originally thought for the defense the most crucial moment probably occurred when James testified that Betty had picked him up at the murder scene between 6 and 6:30 at the day of question this was an hour later than he had previously testified so if the jury were to believe white store or James James's story, it would have been impossible for Peggy to have participated. So the biggest difference between the trials, Betty seemed to be everything reincarnated and evil. Her sister portrayed a more image of a virtuous, compassionate, church-going woman who taught at the local, you know, Talladega County School, and she was helping people less fortunate. So it all came down to character statements. I mean, the way they use that to kind of manipulate the situation and say, Betty's evil, she's vile, she wanted her dead. Now this girl couldn't have been involved in it because look at her, look at what she stands for. So she couldn't have, you know, they're painting a picture. So even though it was really hard for people, for the the defense to get people to testify for Betty's defense, there were tons of people wanting to testify for Peggy saying that how wonderful she is and this is just one of many reasons why I hate the whole character witness thing because you know James is is saying that I mean that's how James came into this picture was because of Peggy because of their Mm -hmm. affair so she had to even if it was unintentional she had to have been involved in some way otherwise James would have never even known about this family. Yep. So the jury only deliberated for two hours and 11 minutes. They came back with a not guilty verdict. Her twin sister is now sitting in Tutwiler Prison in Wontumpka, Alabama 
for murder of her husband and her twin sisters out free for doing the exact same thing she did. Yeah, so she's not guilty. They say that James's lack of credibility was a major factor in this one. And, you know, they're just saying this guy, he's got some issues. We can't, you know, we can't listen to what he said. So reasonable doubt. Yeah, but the thing is, you can't have one sister guilty and one sister innocent. It doesn't... Especially when the hitman himself has been found guilty and he, like I said a moment ago, he came into this picture because of his relationship with Peggy. Mm -hmm. So Peggy had to have, even in a roundabout way, been involved because she got Betty and James in contact with each other. Exactly. So... It's impossible for them to have... Well, to me, it would be very hard to to argue that both of them didn't know or weren't communicating about it or planning together. So, like we said, Betty's sitting in life without parole in Tutwiler. So, she's sitting in there with Judith Neely. Who hasn't written us back. Who has not written us back. However, Betty works in the sewing department, and she actually spends her free time writing her supporters. So, we're thinking, we're not saying we're a supporter, but we're thinking maybe we might reach out to her and kind of hear her side of the story. James is actually serving his life sentence in Springville, Alabama, where he's attending a trade school and receiving counseling for his drug and alcohol abuse. So, there is... And Betty's Betty's case is actually being appealed. It's kind of in the process. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that because there are a lot of people out there who think she was innocent or less involved than they say. So much so that an Army contractor, Bill Campbell, saw her story on TV and he became infatuated with her and now they are married. And he provided a lovely little quote that says, there's an anxiety associated with getting married normally, but when you're getting married to someone that's on life without parole, there's another anxiety there. You think, especially when it's for murder, you think that adds another level of anxiety? Yeah. Well, guess what? This story gets better. They're all in jail, but it keeps going. The new owner of the former home in Huntsville Brought of, it, of the Wilson's home, of the Wilson's Dr. Home, the estate. Yeah. So he bought it. He found something very interesting in it. Wilson was found dead in his home in, in, in 1992. He had been beaten now more than 10 years later. And the new homeowner found a discovery. They were making renovations to his home. And they found that the propane lines had been tampered with. So she could have done this to try to blow up the house. Before they physically connected it to the house, they had to do a pressure test to make sure there weren't any leaks. And when they put pressure on it, they couldn't get the gas lines to hold any pressure at all, which meant that there was a leak somewhere. So they traced it back and it was traced back to the upstairs master bedroom and behind the wall where their bed was, where- uh, His bed was. Yeah, where, where Dr. Wilson's bed was, There was a hidden fireplace that this homeowner didn't even know was there. And the cap for the propane line for that fireplace had just flat out been removed. So the only way it could have been done is someone had to physically do it on purpose. And that that was a quote. Like they the the investigators said this these kind of things don't just pop off. 
It, it was taken off. So the theory was Betty Wilson and James had made an attempt to kill her husband by this method, but the plan didn't work, and that's why they had to do the backup. Because James was a high, was a handyman, so he knew about this. So this is why this was probably the first murder kit. So and also I think there's a good chance they could have you know backed out of it too because an open propane line can cause an explosion and then you done took yourself out oh why she's like do it now do it yeah. now mm-hmm. the homeowner takes this information to the lead investigator who worked the original case in 92 and told him hey you know do you do you need to come in do you need to you know take pictures do whatever you need to do and the investigator said no because everything's over and done with yeah. they can't be retried anyway Two are already guilty. One's innocent. We can't go back and do anything. What's done is done. The homeowner, he was the first one since the Wilsons, but a lot of people have been in and out because the house now is kind of a famous house. People want to see where it all went down. So So that's the story of Dr. Jack Wilson. This is another crazy Alabama one. We've got a lot of females in Alabama. All of our solved cases from Alabama have Pretty much all been females. Judith Neely. So they're not very good ones. Black Widow. <laughs> the Green g- Widow? No, she wasn't Alabama. Mm-mm. Black Widow was. Now, we don't know who Virginia Simpson's killer was, so we can't say that. But um, lots of females killing in Alabama. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. As always, you know, we'll be back in a week. Yeah, so next week we have a very special episode that we're really excited about. We have a special guest coming on. Do we want to go ahead and say it at this point? No? No, we're, we're going to keep it... Okay. On the hush hush. We'll we'll keep it. We'll keep it. (gasps) We'll let our Patreons know first. Okay. Fair enough. Let's do that. Uh, But we will have a special guest on who is going to be helping us out with a case that really deserves a lot of attention. It's a very interesting story. Our guest is very, very knowledgeable and has had some hands-on experience with this case. So we really can't wait to share it with you guys. You don't want to miss next week's episode. Stay tuned. Hang with us. We've got lots in the works for you guys. And we will see you in a week. All right. You know what they said to Felicia. Bye. Bye. I'm hungover. And no, take it up front. Yeah. So this That's is what your... she said. <laughs> oh dear gosh. I'm a child. I'm sorry. <laughs> the prosecution is trying to say, look, he's totally credible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna leave and it. And that's it. That's it. <laughs> no. Yeah. Citing lack of blutter. <laughs> Be- <laughs> blutter. Blutter. <laughs> Saying that there's lack of blood splatter on. Is it blood splatter or spatter? Blood spatter. Is it spatter? They say that it's. They say that part of it is because there was a lack of blood on the wall. <laughs> when in doubt, cut it out. <laughs> <laughs>
So if the jurors, 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 if the people judging the How you doing? My name is PJ. I'm from the Bickerbots podcast. Bickerbots podcast is basically what happens when you take a Republican, a Libertarian, and a Liberal and sit them all in front of the mics and discuss current events and uh, most pop culture. Would it be cheating to bang a smoking hot sex, sex robot? Pack, would please it be answer. Because I need to know. Oh, I don't you think need so. to know? <laughs> so we here at the Bickerbots podcast feel everyone special, even the gingers. I'm going to apologize to all the ginger listeners at this time. Ray Ray's a stout racist. You just said they should be 50% off at the adoption homes. <laughs> just saying. We care about worldly issues like our brothers down under and their sex-crazed koala bears. Koala chlamydia and all-time high and is spreading. Bro, get them koalas some fucking rubbers. <laughs> Here's the Bickerbots podcast. We don't judge people based on their sexuality. Feline, so not all of them, but... But it's their version. It's not like So they have... Version. Okay, huh, interesting. Oh, you're starting to think about all them catchmen fucking, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I listened to the bestiality episode. That was <laughs> quite interesting conversation, let me tell you. Uh, there's nothing interesting about it. It's just man, beast, love. love. <laughs> exactly. Well, if you like what you heard, we're on Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, basically any platform you can download a podcast on.